0: Again, my name is Mike, um, I, just like Russell said, I, I've been living in New York for a little, over, little under two years now, it's my second time around, um, married to Jeannie, we just had Jordan, um, who is our baby, she's six weeks old, that was, that was like at four weeks, I was at one month, and now she's six weeks, um, she's a cutie, uh, I, I'm not going to lie, she's, she's, she has me wrapped around her little finger, okay? Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it's my first time actually preaching since we had, so if I fall down in exhaustion, that's why. Okay, it's not the spirit, it's, it's <laughs> just being tired, okay? Um, but I'm really happy to be here with, as we continue the series. So, you know, just like Nathan said, we're in this, you guys are in the series called Mirrors um, around the season of Lent, okay? The season of Lent is that for the 40-day period, actually 46, because then um, Sundays don't count. We can talk about that later. Uh, but the, the 40-day period right before we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And it's a period set aside for the church and for the family of God to say, what are the things that we need to take a step back from and repent of? Repentance is just a fancy word to say that we're gonna take the things that are not the things that God wants for us, not the direction that God wants for us, and we're gonna turn back to God, okay? And Russell said last week, if you guys were here, There are really four pieces of this repentance that we're doing, particularly when it comes to idols. Idols are those things that um, take our attention and focus away from God, that sometimes are really good things, right? Things that that are, are good in and of themselves and good for us, but they take the place of God, and so they occupy a space that they don't deserve or that they don't belong in, okay? So what we do is we name our idols, we confess them, we fast from them, and we exchange them with kingdom practices. That's what we're going after, okay? Um, and today, we're gonna, we're gonna do that with one particular area, and we're gonna talk about community today. Okay, what, what, are, what are the things around community that might become an idol for us? How might community take sometimes the place of God? Because my guess is this, my guess is that you're here because you're longing to be part of a community. You're longing to to be part of a dream uh, of community rooted in the gospel, to be with people who who love Jesus and and who can love one another and who can love Brooklyn and love this city. You're longing for a picture of something different. Because you could worship anywhere. Now you can worship online. But you chose to come here. So whenever I think about new community, and we're starting a new community on the West Side, I always think about the book of Acts, when the, where the church started and this new story of, of this movement. And, and we're going to look at Acts 4. This is what it says, and this is a snapshot, one of the most beautiful snapshots of the early church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What an incredible story of radical generosity of a community that that gives to anyone who has need, who, who lives for one another? How do we become that kind of community? So that's what we're gonna go after today, all right? Can we pray together? God, again, we pause just to say that our focus and our attention is turned towards you. In these few minutes that I share, I pray that it would be your words that ring forth, your spirit that convicts us that turns our hearts away from the things of this world and towards you, God. Be with us now in Jesus' name, amen. So I turned 38 this year, okay? Uh, I've, been mar- I- I've been a, a dad for, all- for about six weeks. Um, I've been married for a little less than two years, okay? So if you do the math, I've spent most of my life, most of my adult life, as a single person, Okay, and um, I gotta be honest, I was single for a long time, and when you're single for a long time, you get a lot of advice. Single people, can I get an amen? Amen. Right, you get a lot, and, and, and my favorite piece of advice I'll get all the time is, is, why don't you just put yourself out there? Like, where is the there I'm supposed to put myself? And, you know, that that one never made sense to me, but for me, I remember as a single person, especially um, as a single pastor, um, it was just so much anxiety for me, so much anxiety, because I would meet people and they would say really encouraging things like this, like, "You're single? What happened?" <laughs> Nothing happened, and that's why I'm single. Uh, but you know, there, there was a lot of supposed to's for me. You're supposed to get married. Um, you're supposed to have a family. You're supposed to have a family that loves Jesus. You're you're supposed to to have all these things. And it wasn't just my Korean parents who thought that. Um, It was my friends who thought that. It was the folks in the church who thought that. It was brand new people that I would meet who thought that, who said, hey, you're single? Uh, Okay, I can fix that. And if you're a single person and you've been single for a while, you know that sometimes you feel like whenever you're in a room with people who are not single, you feel like a project for them to somehow fix or accomplish, right? And so these messages that I would get, and I would be, and, and to be honest, I had a lot of anxiety about being single, because the message I got um, from the outside and the message I felt from the inside was this: was that single equals lonely equals sad equals something is missing. This was the message that I felt like I would receive all the time. And and so there was part of me that wondered if I would ever, if I would ever find someone, if I would ever get married, um, if I'd ever be able to have children. Every year, I'd get a little bit anxious, a little bit more anxious, feel a little bit more lonely, feel a little less energy to put myself out there, and even a little less energy to figure out where there is. (laughs) And I had really good friends. I had some really great church connections. But something did feel missing. It felt like there was a longing. Now, what do we say to folks who are in that kind of position, who have a deep longing? Right? Maybe you're single and you want to get married. Maybe uh, you're married and you want to have a child, but you haven't had a child yet. And you're not sure if that's going to happen for you. Maybe you've lost someone or maybe you're going through a really difficult time of, uh, of um, depression or addiction or something's going on in your life where you have a deep sea of longing. What do we always say to those folks? You just need community. That's what we say. That's the answer we give to almost every condition is that as, as long as you seek community, you're gonna be okay. As long as you have community, it's gonna be okay, right? It's like the friends ethic. So no one told you life was gonna be this way. <laughs> your life's a joke, you're broke, your love life's DOA, but I'll be there for you. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm turned 38, like Friends is like the seminal sitcom of my generation. And the underlying message of that TV show is that it doesn't matter what's going on in your life as long as you have friends. Doesn't matter how bad your life is or how crazy things are going as long as you have friends. Last week, Russell um, threw a lot of big words at us, which he does, I mean, he does end my conversations. I, I, and they're all like, and the Greek is, right? <laughs> um, But he said that last week that we are um, teleological creatures, teleological creatures. Meaning this is that all of us um, have a telos, which is a fancy Greek word that means end a goal, a vision, right? Meaning this, that we shape our lives and our habits and our worship, our goals and our loves around an end, a vision. There's a guy named James K. Smith who wrote a book called We Are What We Love and this is the way he describes telos, the ultimate story about who we are and what we're for. The ultimate story about who we are and what we're for. And here's one version of the telos that we're told. That we are social creatures. We are created to be in relationship. Totally agree. We have an end goal of connection. In some way we need to figure out how to be connected to one another. We all, and it doesn't matter how introverted you are. You wanna be connected to someone. I don't need to teach my six week old daughter to cry out for someone to hold her. She knows it right from the start. But this is what the world says. The world's us says that community is where you find someone who will meet all of your needs. As long as you have community, you'll find someone who's gonna meet all of your needs. Your deepest needs, every need. Someone's out there that's gonna help you find that. And it's the way we approach dating. It's the way we approach friend- friendship. It's the way we approach, guys, small groups, tables, missional communities. What's the first question you ask when you invite somebody to go something? Who else is going to be there? All right. Who's going to show up? Is there going to be someone there that I'm going to feel like I can connect with? Because if no one's there that I can connect with that's going to meet some kind of need in me, then, then I don't want to go there because that's what I'm looking for. It's easy to parent this way and I don't know how many parents there are in the room but um, it's, it's easy for me not, you know, after so many years to have a child to think that, man, this little girl is gonna meet all of my needs. My need to, for significance, my need to be validated, uh, my need to be seen as a good father and, and as a good Christian and as a good pastor. And I'm scared to death, guys, that one day she's gonna maybe make some choices that I'm not gonna agree with. I'm scared to death that that I'm not going to be able to protect her all the time. That maybe I'm not going to be able to meet all of her needs. scares me to death. All of us have this need. All of us are looking for people who are going to meet those needs. And if community is the place where we're looking for someone to meet that need, man, All of a sudden, every community that we step into feels like the wild, wild west because everyone's out for themselves. The way that Henry Nowen describes it is that it's loneliness grabbing onto loneliness. And what a really tough place to live. What a really tough way to live, right? If we look at social media, isn't social media like that? Isn't the dating scene like that, single folks? Aren't there so many different... um, Aren't there so many places where where, where it's meant to be about community and about connection, but because everyone's longing and everyone's not finding exactly what they're looking for, you're just bouncing from person to person, place to place, community to community, group to group, but you never really find that thing. So why is it in the most populous city in America, and one of the most populous cities in the world, it's easy to feel so lonely? Because maybe the tell us that we're told, maybe the tell us that we're given, the story about who we are and what we're made for, that the world says that community is the place where you find someone who's gonna meet all of your needs and you just need to find that community and find that person and you'll be okay. Maybe that's not the story that we're meant to live into. What if there's a different tell us? What if there's a different kind of story? What if we were made for something different? Yes, we were made to connect, yes, we were made for community, but what if that wasn't the thing that was supposed to meet our deepest needs? If you look in scripture, uh, man, the the themes that we're dealing with in 2017 have been going on for a really long time. If you look back to the book of Genesis, um, there's a story that I love about um, a guy named Jacob who meets this girl, Rachel, if you guys know the story, and, and falls in love with her instantly. And to get Rachel, he, he works seven years to get her. But Rachel's father kind of plays a trick, right, if you guys know the story. And instead of marrying Rachel, he, he marries her sister Leah, who is not as attractive, or so we assume. Um, and, and Jacob, who's in love with Rachel, says, okay, no, okay, I'm stuck with Leah. I'll work another seven years to get Rachel. So now Rachel and Leah are both married to Jacob Like this is, guys, if there's like a real housewives of the ancient Near East, this is it. Read the Bible, it's crazy. And now Leah, the other sister, is in the situation where she's married to someone who doesn't love her. She's in competition with her own sister. And what is she supposed to do? And this is where we pick it up in Genesis 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too, so she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons, so she was named Levi, so he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said... Wait, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. Really interesting narrative at the very beginning of Scripture, okay? Because everything in the beginning makes a lot of sense. Leah wasn't loved, and we see this little note that God saw that Leah was not loved. So what he does for her, he gives her a blessing, and the blessing was to have children, and Leah thinks this, as long as I can have children then, maybe my husband will not love me because I've borne him these sons. And she names her children her desires. Maybe I'll be seen. Maybe I'll be heard. Maybe my husband will be attached to me, Reuben and Simeon and Levi. But it doesn't work. It's not enough. Her sons are not enough. It's not enough for Jacob. It's not enough for her. But there's this weird moment right in the middle where it, where it stops. It's like a hard stop. Because she, she gives birth to a fourth son, and she says this, This time I will praise the Lord. This has nothing to do with Jacob. This has nothing to do with me seeking validation or worth or having somebody try to meet my needs, whether it's gonna be this man or this child. This time, I will praise the Lord. And so she names him Judah. And it says, and it's really curious, it says, and then she stopped having children. And that's not, not, it's not true. If you keep reading out, she actually had more children. But I, I think the reason that this narrative in Genesis makes a stop and pause is because there's this light bulb that goes off in in Leah's mind because it was the Lord that saw her and saw that she was not loved. The Lord that was one that was giving her these children, meeting her needs. And she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And I don't need to have children now. And yeah, it was a glimpse. Yeah, it was a momentary kind of realization but there's something that god speaks to her and meets her right there that maybe that there's a different story that this woman is supposed to live into this woman who for every single other circumstance in her life has been tragic maybe there's a light there's another woman that we meet in the gospel of john uh, a woman at a well in John chapter 4. And this woman, we don't know too much about her, but we know a couple things. We know that, that um, she's gone through a series of relationships, we guess failed relationships, uh, many husbands, and the person that she's living with now is not her husband. We know that um, she doesn't want to be around people because Jesus meets her at a well in the middle of the day, at the hottest part of the day, which is not the time that you went to go get water. You went at the early in the morning or, or Later in the evening, you don't go in the middle of the day. The only people who do that are the ones that don't want to see anybody. And here she is coming to get water and she meets Jesus. And she has this interaction and exchange with Jesus. If you read it in John chapter four, I encourage you to go and do that. It's really curious because she doesn't know what to make of this guy. She doesn't know what to make of this guy for, who first asks her for a drink of water, who associates with her, because she as a Samaritan woman was not supposed to be associated with, especially by a teacher, especially by a Jewish person, especially by a man. There were rules that were set up for her. And they enter into this theological discourse and, and, and dialogue, and, and what we find is that Jesus knows something about her. He sees her in a really interesting way, and she sees that her life is lacking in so many ways. That again, that she's gone through these series of failed relationships and we kind of put together that, that whatever happened to all those previous husbands and whatever's going on with the man that she's living with now, it's put her in her situation where she feels ostracized and separated and now here she is. And they have this conversation and she says to him, you know, we're all waiting for the Messiah. We're all waiting for the anointed one. We're all waiting for the one that we can point our attention to who's gonna make things right. And Jesus says to her, I am that Messiah, I am he. And this is what happens. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This woman who spent a lot of energy and a lot of time avoiding people because she was not the type of person to engage in community, to be accepted, runs into the town, leaves her water jar, and says, I think I met somebody. I met somebody who knows everything about me. Could he be the one that we've been waiting for? The script of her life is suddenly changed and shifted. What if there's a different telos for us? What if there's a different story that we're supposed to be living to? What what if it's not find somebody who's going to meet your deepest needs? What if, just like St. Augustine said, what if this is the story? You made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What if you were made for God and your heart will only find its rest in him? So what if this is the truth, okay? What if we say we name it and, and, and we confess it, but, but what if we say this, that this is the story that we want to orient our lives around, that God is the one who meets our deepest needs, that ultimately it's not going to be a person. It's not going to be a community. It's not going to be a church. It's not going to be a social media group for sure. God is the one who meets our deepest needs. We were designed that way. That's what we were made for. That's what we are made to live into. That's the story, that's the telos. And and, and once we get that, once we park ourselves there, root ourselves there, all of a sudden, the way that we enter into community feels so different. Because if I don't have to look for everyone else to meet my needs, I can go into a situation with people who are just as lacking as I am And not feel like I'm lonely grabbing onto lonely. Community is not easy, guys. People are not easy. Families are not easy. Can I get an amen? Amen. Marriage is not easy. Being a parent is not easy. Being a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister is not easy. People with being with people is not easy. This is the way Henry Nouwen puts it. Community is not easy. Somebody once said, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. (laughs) In Jesus' community of 12 apostles, the last name was that of someone who was going to betray him. That person is always in your community somewhere. In the eyes of others, you may be that person. So we look back at the book of Acts. These believers who were not easy, but who shared everything with one another, who met one another's needs, who gave to one another, who saw one another, who didn't think, what can you do for me? They thought, what can I do for you? What in the world propelled them or compelled them to do that? And I wonder if it's this, because, next slide. Because God meets our needs, that one, next one. Okay, there yeah, there you go. Sorry. I'm a little tired. <laughs> because God meets our needs, we can give our lives away to one another. Because God meets our needs, and that's what we're designed for, we can give our lives away to one another. Now let's think about some liturgical practices. Okay, let's think about some ways and we can live that out. Okay? Let me give you three things. First is this is that we can forgive. We can forgive. You know, back to my boy now, and I got boys too, Russell. (laughs) If we want other people to give us something that only God can give, we become a demon. We say, love me. And before you know it, we become violent and demanding and manipulative. Go to any high school in America, and you see this lived out, okay? (laughs) It's so important that we keep forgiving one another. Not once in a while, but every moment of life. Before you have had your breakfast, you have already had at least three opportunities to forgive people because your mind is already wondering what will they think about me? What will he or she do? How will they use me? In our community, Daybreak, we have to do a lot of forgiving. But right in the midst of forgiving comes a lot of celebration. We see the beauty of people who quite often are considered marginal by society. With forgiveness and celebration, community becomes the place where we call forth the gifts of other people. Lift them up and say, you are the beautiful daughter and the beautiful son. So let's talk about how this works, okay? The way we forgive one another is we say, I'm sorry, I can't. We, We say, I forgive you for not being everything that I need you to be. But that's okay because God meets those needs. Please forgive me for asking of you what really you can't give me. Please forgive me for expecting things from you. And for not meeting your needs the way that you need to be met. Forgiveness. And it happens all the time. And it leads us to the second practice that, that, that now talks about, celebration. When we do a lot of forgiving, we get to do a lot of celebrating. Because I, I'm not looking for you to fill all my gaps. I'm not looking to take, take, take. We're not a, no longer a community of takers trying to suck things out of one another. All of a sudden, I can just appreciate you for who you are. My needs are met in Christ wow, you're pretty amazing. In all your gaps, in all your brokenness, in all the ways that you fall short, there's some things that are really great and beautiful about you. And we get to celebrate that with one another. What if you spent this next week thinking about ways you can forgive people, but also thinking about ways you can celebrate people? What if we went upstairs together as a community and said, how can I celebrate the people around me? Not think about who can I sit next to that's gonna make me feel comfortable? Who can I sit next to and say, what is there that I can celebrate about you that God is doing in your life? And when we do that, when we forgive, when we celebrate, we do the last thing, which may be the most important thing. We invite another person into God's story. We invite them to consider that maybe God meets their deepest needs. That maybe their longings, their hopes, their fears, their anxieties, they're not gonna find the answer to that in us. They're gonna find their answer to that in Jesus. This is my daughter. Um, I, I, sh- I show you this picture because I really, I can't remember if she's laughing or angry and it's probably some combination of of the two. She goes from one to the other pretty easily, right? Um, And this relates to your Lenten liturgy for this week, so please take a look at it. Um, So easy for me as a dad, as a brand new dad, to want this little girl to fill all my needs, my deepest needs. But it's my prayer and my thought is how can I help her to know the God who will meet her needs, to know the savior who's gonna fill her deepest longings, who's gonna bring bring faith and love to the places where she is afraid and anxious, who's gonna give her purpose and meaning well beyond what I could ever give her as a dad. I wanna invite her into God's story. And that's what we get to do with one another is invite one another into God's story. We forgive, we celebrate, and we invite each other into God's story. And in that way, we live out a different kind of story. We live out the telos that God designed for us. Can we pray together? God, thank you for the story of scripture. Thank you, Lord, for the story of salvation. Thank you for the story of the gospel. Thank you that we get to be a part of that story. Thank you for the story of Hope Brooklyn and the community that you're building and you're growing here. Father, I pray, Lord God, that, um, Lord, it would be your story and your grace that, Lord, is at the root of what we do together. God, thank you for Russell and and for, uh, for Anna and for Nathan and Stephanie and Liz and Catherine and, and every leader who I can't name right now, um, God, who are pouring into this community as they, as they want to invite, Lord God, um, everyone, Lord, to, to understand and know the grace of Jesus. And I pray, Lord God, that this work would continue, that there, this, this place would be known for tremendous forgiveness and celebration and imitation. In Jesus' name, amen.